Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. What an awesome day to be in God's house. It's beautiful weather outside. Uh, just an awesome day to be here uh, worshiping God, our Father, and uh, sensing His presence with us today. Um, today's sermon is uh, carried away into captivity. Uh, we've been uh, looking through uh, for the past several weeks uh, throughout the beginning of the year. Well, I pulled up my bracket that's got a lot more red in it than it does green, so my bucket, my bracket is busted. It's no good, so I have my sermons pulled up here where I can look at those, but I uh, was checking on my team in between. So this year we've been studying about uh, beginning in the book of Genesis in the Bible to t kind of get us a picture through the Old Testament and just uh, painting a picture to get in our mind of the the uh, timeline kind of scripture and things that was happening throughout the ages and it's kind of uh, hard as a preacher to give um, 4,000 years of history in uh, six or seven or eight messages so you're talking about a half hour per message so it's a, a lot to get in 4,000 years of history in a short time uh, as that it's hard enough to get in a hundred years of history about a time, let alone 4,000 years is a long time. But we begin with the promised land promise that God promised Abraham that if Abraham would leave his family, his uh, uh, kindred there in uh, that land that he was living in, that uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, that if he would leave them and go to where God would show him, that he would show him a promised land. Abraham obeys God, takes off on a journey, and he takes Lot, his nephew, with him. They go into the promised land find it and find it to be pleasing is what God had promised. Uh, they get there, they uh, set up camp, uh, they have a famine, he runs down to Egypt, comes back uh, up in the land of Israel, he's there. Uh, he has a son, a promised son, the son's name is Isaac. So Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac got Jacob, Jacob got 12 sons, those 12 sons, so one of the brother Joseph, we're trying to get through a lot of history here, so Joseph takes off, he's sold into captivity, he's a prisoner, he takes off down and they take him to Egypt, sell him in slavery into Egypt. Uh, Joseph rises through the ranks. He uh, comes all the way into a prominent figure in uh, Egypt and he becomes second in command only to Pharaoh. So that would be like being a vice president today. That's a pretty lofty position, right? To go from a foreigner, somebody that don't even belong, to being second in command, that's a pretty lofty thing because God appointed him in that position because there was a famine coming. I mean, knows God will set us up to prepare us for what's coming. Yes, Amen? Amen? I believe that God foresees our future and can help us. So he, he sent Joseph up, Joseph up in that position. Next thing you know, Joseph's brothers come back down, the ones that sold him. Uh, they have to come down to purchase materials. And next thing you know, Joseph reveals himself to them. He tells them that it's, it's his brother. Go get dad, bring him down. They all live in Egypt. It's like a glorious time. There's a famine everywhere else, but Egypt's got all this stored up materials, kind of like Tommy over there, got the big silos and all that. So if we had a famine, we'd be over there eating uh, field corn out of the silo. He's building another barn, so Xander's going to be over there putting a the roof on after a while. If anybody wants to go over and help Xander nail down some tin or anything over there next door, uh, it's been be a lot of fun. But it, they've got all these silos and so stored up all this stuff because God told Joseph there's going to be seven years of plenty and then there's going to be seven years of famine. So what if God were to tell us today there's going to be seven years of a good stock market and then immediately thereafter, there's going to be a great depression, and you're going to need to store up now for what's coming. There you go. Sure. Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. 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 Save you some money. Yeah. Because you never know what's going to happen. 
And it's not a bad thing with God for you to save some money. So uh, Joseph does this. Next thing you know, they come down, his brothers come down, he feeds them, feeds the household. But, but soon thereafter, after that Pharaoh died, it says in Scripture that uh, they no longer, the Pharaoh no longer knew Joseph. And they become slaves, literal slaves. And the whole nation of Israel is slaves in Egypt. And God raises up one, they're going to kill all the babies, you know. And the story of Moses we studied about and listened about uh, the next week of how Moses was there, was born. His mom puts him in the water. The Pharaoh's daughter drags him out of the water, raises him in that house. Moses ends up killing a man because he sees him picking on his family. He finds out he's an Israelite. And he kills one of the Egyptians because he was picking on their family. He was a bad slave master, one, a guy that was uh, hitting them, and Moses goes and kills him. Moses takes off in the wilderness, spends 40 years in the wilderness raising sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. He's out there working, and God speaks to him in a fiery bush, a fiery bush experience where that he sees this bush that's cons not consumed and it's burning. And what if I was to tell you today that God is an all-consuming fire that never consumes all. He is there all the time present, and he don't vanish away because normally a shrub would burn up, doesn't it? If you light a brush fire today, the brush fire gets big, it gets big glowing red and yellow and all these different colors, and then the next thing you know, it burns away. But here, Moses saw this bush that burnt that didn't consume and God is there present like that. And he's long-lasting. That he stays with us. And Moses sees this and God speaks to him tells him, go back to Egypt, the place where you ran from because you killed somebody. How many knows if you're a murderer, you kind of walk around tarnished, right, in society because of the things you've done. But as this, Moses, God tells Moses, go back and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses does it. He obeys. But he tells God, you know, I've got conditions. I can't talk right. Kind of like me. God, don't call me to be pastor because I can't talk right. My, my uh, uh, language, I'm not real good, skillful with words. But God says anyway, it don't matter. He calls me every wishes. So Moses goes back and he gets his brother Aaron to speak for him. And he goes to Pharaoh tells him to let his people go. We know about the plagues. All this stuff happens. And finally God lets the children of Israel go. And they head off through the uh, out through the desert. And they get to the Red Sea and they're thinking, man, what's going to happen? The Red Sea's here and it's stopping us. And Pharaoh's army's coming after us now. He's mad. He, fought, he forgot about what just happened. And as they're sitting there at the Red Sea, the Bible says that God opened up the Red Sea and that the children of Israel walked across on dry ground. That's a miracle. The Red Sea is a big, wide body of water. A lot bigger than the Ohio River. Can you imagine the Ohio River splitting and parting ways and separating where we could all walk across on dry ground to the other side. And then in the midst of that, the Pharaoh's army takes off and chasing them. And when they get in the middle of that sea, the waters close back up on them. It's a miracle, right? So the children of Israel just witnessed a miracle from God that Moses is preaching about. So as they're there and they're, they're, they're uh, uh, having all this uh, great uh, time explaining the things of God and what they just saw, can you imagine the joy in the camp? After seeing an army chase you and God open up a body of water, you walk across and then it swallow up your enemies. Can you imagine the joy in the camp of God at that time? And if we look at the children of Israel as a congregation, the joy must have been present there. But it wasn't long that the joy wore off and they become murmurers and complainers. Somebody say amen. 
Does it sound like a church body to me, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, we get joy we're on the mountaintop. Woo! Let's go find. Let's go win. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh man, I can't believe that so and so's doing this and that. And we just murmur and complain. It's like us. It's a picture of us. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. I'm telling the truth. So God leads them and they get over there in the wilderness and God tells Moses, you know, they're griping because they don't have no water. And Moses gets aggravated and he strikes a rock and he, he says, I'll get water for you. And he strikes the rock, water comes out and they, they drink water from a rock. Wouldn't that be a miracle? Amen. How many would like to drink water from a rock? Yes. That it just comes, that it wasn't there before, but because God said so. So they do this and then Moses gets in trouble with God because God didn't tell him to do that. And Moses gets in trouble. He don't allow, he's not allowed to go to the promised land. And they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You talk about a messed up life. Think about Moses. The first 40 years, he grows up, he's raised up in a, in a, a castle, basically, of the kingdom, the empire of the world. He kills a guy, goes into exile, takes off, Forty in the next forty years, he's there helping his father-in-law. God tells him go back, get the people, and come out. And I'm going to take you to the promised land. He takes off and does it. Does what God says, and he gets mad in his anger. Bible says, "Be angry, but sin not." Amen? Amen. Your anger can cost you. So the next forty years of his life, he's wandering in the wilderness, knowing he won't enter the promised land. How sad of a state would that be? To know God's got a promise for me and a destiny for me, but my sin has cost me my future. Moses stands on the mountaintop, and he overlooks the promised land as they're there. Then we studied about Joshua coming. When Moses died, Joshua's in charge. Now Joshua's there, and he tells the children of Israel, because God's promised, after Moses and that generation is dead, we're going to go enter the promised land. He takes off, and he goes up, to the, and he gets all the children of Israel together, and gets the priests and the Levites, and they take these uh, uh, the articles of, of uh, the tabernacle, and they take off, and they go up to the River Jordan, and the same miracle that happened with Moses at the Red Sea, they're standing at the River Jordan, and as they stand there, God opens up the River Jordan again. Isn't it just like God to fulfill things just like he had before? He'll keep doing them again and again and again. The Bible says that grace upon a grace, right? That there is more than enough grace in our life for God to show us his faithfulness to us as a people. So Joshua goes across, and we know, told the story about uh, Jericho and them going, this big walled city. And uh, I'm trying to preach 4,000 years in 20 minutes here. I'm, going, I'm on my way, though. And here we are. They get down to Jericho, and the walls come crumbling down. They go around seven days, the seventh day, seven times. They shout because God tells them to shout. And today, what if I told you that your shout is going to be the difference in you being successful in the victory that God has for you or not? One, two, three, shout. <laughs> Nobody's want no victory. Okay, your victory of your future depends on whether you shout right now or not. One, two, three. That's pretty good. I think we can do better. So seven trips around, maybe we need to do this seven times, okay? I will do it again. Everybody put, up, put on your best shout voice. There's a ruach, which is a, a blasting shout. So I want you to shout with, uh, what's the thing called down here, Leslie, where you tell people to sing from that I don't know how? 
diaphragm. So you got to use your diaphragm. So I don't know where that's at or even what it is, but Leslie says you sing better if you sing with your diaphragm. But I must not have one because I can't sing very well. So that's a ruach shout. That's a loud shout, right? So I, I want the neighbors to be able to hear, not that the walls of the church is going to fall in, hopefully. Uh, you know, some people say they come to church, the roof's going to fall in. But I want us to have a ruach shout, okay? So here we go. One, two, three. That's better. I like it. It sounds good to me. So they shout. The walls come crashing down. And it's victory, right? It's victory in the camp. So they're excited. And next thing you know, there's this guy that God tells them all, when the walls fall, don't take anything from the city with you. Right? Don't, don't take anything. It's not yours. The victory's mine. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He saw me and he bought me. I don't know the rest of it, but it's all right. Put on my diaphragm singing voice when I'm down right there. So Achan takes this stuff, these articles that God tells him not to, and Achan takes them, and sin in the camp does, the, causes the children of Israel to be defeated in the next battle. So they go to Ai thinking they're going to win because they just won at Jericho. And sometimes it's like that in our life, amen? God causes us to have victory in our life, and we go to the next fight, and we think because we just won, we're going to win again. And next thing you know, because sin's in our life, it stops us and prevents us from winning. Amen. Amen. Sin will prevent you from winning in life. So here they go. They travel, and they go fight this battle with Ai, and they lose. And God tells Joshua, says, Joshua, there's somebody in camp that's got sin, and you need to deal with it because it needs dealt with today. And Joshua goes and deals with it. He deals with this Achan and, and God shows him and God points it out and Achan repents and God uh, tells him what to do and they end up killing uh, uh, Achan and all of his family and all that and then they go back and fight at Ai and they win. Isn't it amazing? Yes. That when you let sin go, you begin winning again. I don't know about you, but even as a Christian, amen, I heard a preacher say this morning, on the radio, driving down, that said, you know, that it's not just about being saved and being baptized. That it's a lifelong journey of continually giving and offering ourselves to God. Amen. And it kind of hurt me at first. I was like, what do you mean it ain't about saved and baptized? That's, that's a good part, right? I love seeing people get saved and baptized. But I love seeing them continue on the journey as a lifelong process of being sanctified Amen. by God. Amen. That sanctification is a lifelong process of God redeeming you and purchasing you. And sure, you're going to sin. Anybody that says that you're a Christian and you cannot sin, I doubt them. Because I see too many people in Scripture fail. Yes. Amen? Amen? And I, as a Christian myself, Amen. fail God. And it hurts. And I know it prevents me from my future. I know it prevents me from winning because of my sin. <laughs> The Bible says lay down every sin that so easily besets us. Let's lay aside those weights yes. on our shoulders. Amen. It's time to put our sin off, church. Amen. So God tells them that, and they take care of it. Next thing you know, they go, and then the neighboring cities, after they beat AI, the next time the neighboring cities start hearing, well, wow, God's doing stuff, and God's going to move, and he promised the children of Israel that used to be in Egypt, and here they come, and they're going to take off our cities. So they come up with this plan, this concoction, and they come, and they, they trick Joshua. They come with wore-out shoes, and we talked about that, and wore-out bags and stale bread and all that, and they come, and they trick Joshua. It's called an unsanctioned treaty. God didn't tell Joshua to sign it. Joshua signed it because he thought it was a good thing. 
Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble by getting in your hand, our cart before the horse, as a lot of the old timers said. Amen? Don't ever get your cart before the horse. Pray and seek God. So they do this. Next thing you know, they end up in trouble because of unsanctioned trees. And Joshua messed up. And I believe that even to today, if you study through all the things that's happened to the children of Israel and the people that's always still living there in their region and the continual fight, today you can go over there. The Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Look at your neighbor and say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible says that Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. God loves Jerusalem. He cherishes that place. But today there's a dome of the rock. The Muslims have a building built on the Temple Mount worshiping Allah, the place that God loves. How sad. An unsanctioned treaty leads us to bad places. Next thing you know, we studied about the God-appointed judges, about Damper, about all the judges. There's so many judges. The whole book of Judges in the Old Testament is just an awesome book to give us a picture of how that God wants us to live a life. And it says in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that a spiritual man judges all things. You know, in the New Testament world, everybody says, well, don't judge me, right? You, you can't judge me. Don't judge. The Bible said he that spiritual judges all things. Amen. We need judges in our life. We need God's judgment in our life because if I don't have God's judgment or God's people helping me along my journey, if I'm trying to just live my life by myself and I don't care what anybody else thinks or matters or says, then I'm going to end up in trouble. <laughs> Amen. Do not be a lone wolf. Amen. Church, do not be a lone wolf because you will end up in trouble. Don't try to do this life alone. Get you a, a, count, a, a group of people that you count on, that you depend on, that you ask to pray for you. It's the people that we need. And we need judges in our life. I need people on my board, the advisory board of this church, that I can call Pastor Wells and say, Pastor Wells, I'm look at this and think about this, and to have him to give me judgment on my decision making. Amen? We need judges in our life. It's not fun because sometimes they tell you no. Just like them little babies downstairs that you tell no on a weekly basis and they don't like it. True. We're the same as adults. Amen. We're just telling, whenever God tells us no, we're like pouting. I can't believe I've done all that and I bought them Easter eggs and I bought candy and, and I've done that and I've done that and he told me no. Amen. Is that us? I think it is. If we look at it from God's point of view, we don't like no, but sometimes we need to hear it. And that's why we need judgment. Amen. Amen. Everybody say, I love you, Pastor Ben. I love you, Pastor Ben. Okay, so uh, the next week we talked about, and Uncle Al was here. I call him Uncle Al. He's not my uncle, but I love him. Al Winters came, and he talked about desire and carnality and how that, how that the carnal and, and the nation of Israel, they saw and they looked around, and God gave them judges. He appointed them judges, but they looked around, and they seen the other nations. They was like, man, they got kings. Wouldn't I just love to have a king? A king is awesome. So they chose and said, we want a king. And God said, no. And they said, but we want a king anyway. It's just like us. Wherever God tells us no, we're like, but I, I want a Hershey bar, Dad. I'm standing here all this time, and I've walked through all these aisles of Kroger's with you. And Mom used to make us, oh, it was awful. Has anybody ever had a coupon with Mama? Sorry, Donna. Donna, Donna had the coupon and grip a while back. I've never been a kid and going through and Mom looking, and we just, you know, I, I want Fruit Loops this week, but I don't have a coupon. It's like, Really? What's the matter? It's 20 cents. It's my enjoyment's over 20 cents. No, I don't have a coupon. 
And then you get up there at the cash register and the lady would bring it up wrong. And I think that's why mom ended up uh, being a cash register then because uh, all the people she aggravated all the time when I was a kid. Sometimes you'll end up in a seat that you scorn the most. Uh, those poor ladies that rang my mama up when she was couponing. Desire and carnality. What what others want. We want what we want. Everything else don't matter. We desire carnality and give us a king. So God allows them to get a king and the king they get is Saul and he's a bad king. Most of the time what we want brings harm to our life. I wish I had somebody shaking their head yes. My desires bring harm to my life and God's desires brings joy to my life. So as they do this to their self, they bring it upon their self. So the first king, Saul, next thing you know, David comes along and the Bible says that Saul kills his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And David's a man of war and he kills lions with his bare hands and kills bears with his bare hands. And that's just a phenomenal thing to me. I don't know about you, but it's hard enough to kill something with a gun, but let alone trying to kill a bear with my bare hands. It's just an amazing thing that God allowed David to have that kind of power and authority. But he wouldn't let him build a temple. So we talked about last week. So we're finally here and we're, getting, we're about to get to carried away in captivity. How much time do I got? Oh my, it's 12.18. i got 12 minutes to go for the rest of the sermon. It's going to be awesome, though. So here we are. And and, and now they've got this third king in the line is Solomon. But God tells David, you can't build my house because I'm going to have Solomon to build the house. God wants to dwell with men. And we talked about last week how that God desires for us to be the temple of the Most High God, not a temple built with hands. He don't. He cares about us having a building. He's He's glad that we're here and we're sitting in padded pews today. That we got uh, two different furnaces downstairs that's putting heat into our sanctuary today, and he's glad that we got rooms down there for the kids. And I enjoy that. And I'm glad that we keep it up and people clean the church. I'm happy about that. God's happy about that. Amen. But He doesn't care about this building as much as He cares about the temple, which is you. He desires to live inside of you. You're the temple that he needs. So today as we see this, that God allowed Solomon to build that temple, and it's going to take us into where we're going today. I want you to turn your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So there's a few verses I think that most Christians today uh, hear and know, that if I just quote a few of them, that you would uh, understand and know. So John 3.16, everybody. Should not perish. Ernie lined them out. Karen messed it up and Ernie lined her out. So John 3.16, a lot of people know that. I've, in the past 10 years, I've heard the verse that we're getting ready to read uh, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Anybody care to know what verse it is? 14. You was at church this morning, you're cheating. I'll the Oh, okay. So 2 Chronicles 7.14 is the verse that a lot of people know. I just want to see how many can quote it. So you're not on a quote, you're cheating. So um, everybody, 2 Chronicles 7.14, anybody? If my people, but you're called by my name, okay, so very few in this room maybe understands it or hears it, so we're going to read it. Let's start at verse 12, though. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. Don't you love when God appears in your darkness? 
and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14, I love this verse. This is a verse you need to underline in your Bible. You need to write it on your wall. You need to stick it as a posty note on your mirror where you're brushing your teeth in the morning so that we understand this verse because this verse is what keeps us if we're carried away into captivity that sets us free. This is a verse to get you freedom in your life. This is what we're about today. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Yes. If you don't have that verse memorized, please memorize it. As a Christian, as a person, a child of God, this is one of the key verses I believe in Scripture that it teaches us, if my people... So God ain't saying, if all the sinners, right? He's saying, if my people. Yeah. He's telling us as a Christian here that we are his people, but we still got some issues to work on, right? Amen. Because sometimes the things that I do is not the things I wish I would do, is what Paul said in Amen. Romans chapter 7. I, I want to do right, but I don't. I mess up. Amen. On a weekly basis, sometimes I mess up as a, as a pastor, and I try to lead by example and do all the things I know I'm called to do. But sometimes I mess up, and I think, man, I'm glad everybody don't act like me. Amen? Amen. So God tells us, if my people, that means you. If you're a Christian, if you're blood-bought, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ today, God is saying this to you. You're his people. You're called by his name. The Bible says that it's the name of Jesus. There's no other name where salvation can be found but at the name of Jesus. Amen. Called by his name, that's Jesus. But it says we will humble ourselves. So if you want to know the four points to get from captivity to freedom, here it is. Humble yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Yes. How many believes that? Humble yourself. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. You have to have humility if you're going to be a Christian that obtains things in your life and makes the journey with Jesus Christ. You have to be humble. So even as a Christian, humility is not just that one time. And I remember what it was like when I was standing in the back row and, and Pastor Will's preaching a sermon and him, him saying at the end of the service, you know, if anybody wants salvation, come down to the front. And if you'll come down to the front, you'll be saved. And I, I stand there holding on to the pew and I was thinking, man, I'd love to get out. And I promised God when I drove up there, I'll get out and I'll go to the altar tonight. And I sat there and I didn't. And God... Working on my heart, my heart about to beat out my chest. And it's like, and, and the next thing you know, Pastor Well says, Is anybody here that will be brave enough to say, Will you pray for me? Because I'm being dealt with today by God, but I'm not going to make the journey down to the altar. And I raised my hand. I was brave enough to do that because nobody was looking, right? Everybody, every head bowed and eyes closed and raise your hand, right? So I raised my hand and wherever I left church and I was driving back down the road and, and God began to deal with my heart. And he, he spoke, speaking to me and I was, I was like, God, I'm sorry because I told you if I went to church tonight, I would go to the altar and pray. And I turned the truck back around. I said, let somebody be at the church. I drive back up to Raceland Church. As I pull in the parking lot, a bunch yeah. of kids are there. Yeah. Uh, pastor is still there. And I walk into the church, the congregation. Some of the people still uh, uh, murmuring around and moving around. And I walk up to pastor. And I tell him, I say, I want to be saved. Yeah. And he tells the teenagers. Because they was fighting about where they was going to go to eat. Whether it was a mayor's pizza or Giovanni's. 
pastor tells two of them teenagers, take that boy up there and get, get him at the altar and, and pray with him. It's like, I, I was hoping the pastor would, you know. But the teens prayed. This 20-some-year-old thug from Lewis County kneeling at an altar, not knowing how to pray. Sure. And some teenagers said, just ask him to come into your heart. Forgive you of your sin. Amen. You're ready for salvation that you yes. wanted to be the Lord of your life. And I did that. I had to humble myself. It's, it's a humbling thing to ask people, people for help. We're so independent. Yes. We're so self-consumed that we think we can handle all of our own business when God is telling us today, humble yourself, you need help. There's a lot of people in this room, I believe, needs to hear that. Amen. 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 I'm not calling us a proud people. I'm just saying we got issues. Yes. Amen. <laughs> There's some Amen. smiles went up right there. I said, we got some issues in this room. Amen. We do. Amen. We need to humble ourselves and ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Yes. Because if you ask, you'll receive. So we've got to humble ourselves. The second part, he says, and pray. So you can humble yourself, but you've got to pray. And what is prayer? So is prayer only where that you just tell God, is he your, just your Santa Claus that is sitting up there on his throne and kind of like on the movie, uh, the Christmas story, and you know, Santa Claus is up there and you're sitting there waiting in line. It's like, man, I want this Red Rider BB gun and i got all these things in my imagination running what I'm wanting and I'm going to ask God when I get up there and you're lying and everybody else is in front of you, kind of like a church service, right? I want to go follow pastor, but everybody else is in line. Not really, but, you know, <laughs> you know it's like Santa Claus, you're waiting. You're waiting in line. It's like, when's my turn? That's what it feels like praying sometimes. It's like, man, everybody else's prayers are getting answered. I see them doing this, and this is happening in their life, and we get jealous. Uh -huh. Come on, somebody. Yeah. It seems like God's blessing somebody else more than it is me. We kind of get jealous. So we're uh -huh. in line waiting, and finally, like Ralphie, you're standing there, little brother's aggravating you, mom and dad's going somewhere else, and, and finally get up there, and it's your turn, and you walk up there, and they take, and they lift you up there, and they put you in Santa's life, and you sit there and look at him, and you're like, uh... probably what our prayer life would be like if we yeah. really got to sit uh -huh. in the life of God. We would be so in awe uh -huh. that all of this carnality stuff wouldn't be our prayer. And Ralphie, he misses it. Sam tells him what he's going to get. He puts him down and Ralphie grabs onto the rails of the slide and he looks and he pulls himself back up and he tells Santa, I want a Red Rider BB gun. He tells him exactly what model and make and all that stuff. And Santa looks at him and says, What? You'll shoot your eye out. And takes his foot and shoves him down the track. How many's ever felt like that with God? It's like you got up in his life. You got finally got to his presence. You finally got there. You made it. You've been praying and seeking God and trying. And you finally get there where that you can ask him. And you forget what you're supposed to ask. And then when you do, he just tells you no. And he shoves you down. And it's like, oh, the rod of death. We humble ourselves and pray. Prayer is a conversation. It's a two-way street. Prayer's not a wish list. Prayer's not all about us. No. A big part of prayer is the answer. Yeah. Amen. Sure, you can ask him. But what are you going to do when he tells you no? What are you going to do when he tells you maybe? 
I'll do when he tells you yes. Pastor Josh used to preach the message all the time. God's answer is three things. Yes, no, or slow. He's going to tell you to wait. Sometimes that waiting is the hardest part. Yes, it is. Amen? Amen. Prayer changes things. I absolutely believe that with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and will. Everything about me believes prayer changes things. But sometimes it takes time. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't be carried away into captivity of thinking that it's not possible. Because today, I believe with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. To him that believeth. Amen? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. I believe there's too many Amen. verses that we can stand on today and say, God is going to bring it to pass. You hide and watch. You mock me. You ridicule me. You stand back and say, Ben's never going to be able to accomplish anything, but you just watch and see what God does. Amen? I pray. I seek God. So the next thing, okay, humble yourself, pray, seek God's face. What is it to seek God's face? What's it like to seek God's face? This is a part of me, the presence of God. And I don't know if you've ever been touched by the presence of God or not, but if, if you have it, you should. You should seek it. Because the Bible says, seek God while he may be found. Amen. And if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, he will open unto you. The Bible tells us too many places that if we seek God, we'll find him. So here it is, as we knock and seek, and we're seeking God, the presence of God is where that it overwhelms you. I believe that God's presence overwhelms us, kind of like Moses on that fiery bush story and all that. The presence of God will overwhelm us. I don't know if you've ever been driving down the road in your car or maybe you're going through some issues in life. Maybe there's a lot of pain going on in your family or your home or some situation you're going through right now and you're driving down the road and you finally get sick of it and it feels like I'm in captivity. I want some freedom. I need to send you, God. And you begin to pray and you begin to humble yourself and say, God, I can't do it anymore. And you begin to pray and talk to God. And the next thing you know, the presence of God shows up as you seek his face. Amen. It might be a song. Tell Greg, well, go about the, the movie. We got, I'm going to have to go watch it. As one of my friends has told, uh, posted on Facebook that him and his family went. I can only imagine. I don't know about you, but what, when I listen to that song, and I think about all the people that's went on, yeah. and I can only imagine. And I'm telling you, if you will get in a car by yourself and turn that on the radio and let loose and humble yourself and pray, and begin to seek God, I'm telling you, his presence will show up, and it'll bring goosebumps on your arm, on your neck, on your even the hairs on top of your head. The few I've got left will stand up. I'm telling you, it's something to sense the presence of God. I desire that, don't you? How long has it been since you've sought God? Since you say, God, I'm humbling myself. I'm praying. I'm a mess. I'm a train wreck. I've got issues. And God, I need to know that you've got an answer for me. Even if it's no, God, please show up. And I'm telling you, you will. He'll show up, church. And the last thing is, turn from our wicked ways. Turn from our wicked ways. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Man, if we could ever just let our sin go and grab a hold of God, what would he be able to do? With a church full of people that was seeking God, that was praying, that was humble. Man, if we would let go of our sin, aching, God can win the next battle. Amen. And I'm telling you today, the children of God wouldn't do it. 
Because in this story of Second Chronicles chapter 7, it's where that Solomon is, is dedicating the temple that was just built. This big dream-sized house that God wanted. Solomon built it. He's dedicating it. And the Bible says that Solomon, he had a thousand, you know, he, he offered these thousand different animals and, and brought them up and get this offering. And the Bible says in the beginning of this chapter that fire come down from heaven and licked up that sacrifice. What would we do if we seen the fire of God in our life today? Then God tells them, in the midst of that, you got to humble yourselves. You're my people. you got to pray. you got to seek my face. Most of all, you got to turn from your wicked ways. Save the best for last. If you turn over just a few chapters, 2 Chronicles chapter 36 is the last chapter in this book. I want to read this for you real quick. We're about done. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them because they didn't follow God's ways. They, they didn't do what God told them to do. This is several generations later. The Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by the messengers, rising up early and sending, sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. God has compassion on you today. Even in the midst of your sin. You may be sitting here saying, Pastor, you're talking about the sin issue and I'm full of sin today and I'm sensing it and I'm knowing and I, I feel bad about it, but God has compassion on that. Yes. Amen? Amen? But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Amen. There comes a point in time where there is no remedy that our sin takes us farther that we just won't let go. I think it's the point of death myself. I think as long as you've got breath in your body that God is able to save you. That's my opinion. Yeah. Amen? Amen? There's a place where there is no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with sword in the house of the sanctuary. They had no consumption of money, compassion on the young men or the virgins, on the aged or on the weak. He gave them all into the hand. And the articles of the house of God, great and small, and treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king and his elder and his leaders, and all these took into Babylon. Then they all burned the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all those places with fire, and destroyed his precious possessions. Those who escaped from the sword he carried away into Babylon where they became servants to him and sons until the royal kingdom of Persia to fill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah into the land and enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbaths to fulfill the 70 years. Everybody quotes Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 all the time. Right? Youth group, I saw Dusty posted. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, give you health, to give you an expected end. That was spoken in the midst of them being carried away into captivity. They were carried away into Babylon. It would be like Mexico equipping America today and taking us as slaves and moving us to Guatemala. And saying, and God saying, that's going to be for 70 years. <clears throat> Scary. Got a video I want us to, sh to see. It's a three minute video. <coughs> and just look at this video. All we say to America is be true to what you're saying on paper. <laughs> if I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand 
some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. so divided as a nation. I'm telling you, we better humble ourselves. 
we better pray. Amen. We better seek God's face. And we better turn from our wicked ways. Because you've seen what happens when you're led away in captivity. You'll be humble then. And I don't want that as a nation, do you? How many would like to pray for our nation today? God. Humble us. Bible said that no revival, nothing's going to happen except that judgment begins at the house of God. Amen. I'm here to tell you today, unless the church straightens up and wakens up to hear, thus saith the Lord, I believe that was a prophet of God. And I don't know what side of the fence I'd have been on if I'd have been alive then. But I know right now he was speaking for God because 12 hours from the time he gave that message, that sermon, he was shot and killed dead for what he believed in. In freedom. Sure. I want freedom, don't you? Amen. How many enjoys your freedoms? Amen. Don't think they're going to be here forever because unless we humble ourselves and pray, it's only God that gives freedom. Amen. God said, He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And sin will captivate us and hold us hostage unless we ask God to forgive us. Amen. Amen. I want us to repent yes. as a church. For the way we treat others. Mm -hmm. Amen. Let humility begin here at the house of God. Amen. So that we can sense no. Because I want God to do something in our lives. Amen. I want great things for Lewis County and Greenham County and all the surrounding areas. Amen. But it's got to begin here at the church. Won't you stand? Humble ourselves. Pray. <laughs> Seek God's face. And turn from our wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Yes. I'll forgive their sins and I will heal their land. That sounds like a prescription to me. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. I believe we've been to the doctor today. And the doctor just wrote us a prescription saying here. You want to know what's ailing you? This is what will fix you. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And God, as a congregation of Bethesda today, Lord, we want to raise up a generation, God, of children that know you, that chase after you, Lord, that believe in you, that trust in you. God, I pray today, Lord, that you will allow us to be humble as adults. Lord, that there will be a humility, not a false humility, but a true humility in this room today to say, forgive us. Forgive us as a county, God, as being a racial county. God, forgive us for being a people. Lord, we're so concerned about ourselves that we don't care for others. Lord, that we don't look out for the welfare of the neighbor down the street. Lord, that we're all consumed within ourselves. Humble us today, God. Allow us to see ourselves from your vantage point. God, allow us to pray more as a people. God, I pray for the people of this church right now. Lord, that they would rise up in prayer. Lord, that you would awaken us in the middle of the night. Lord, that you would lay people in our heart, God, that are going through pain and turmoil and suffering. God, you said bear one another's burdens. God, help us to do that as a church. Amen. Yes. And God, I pray for the people in this room that's never sensed your presence, God. Lord, if they've never known and showed God, that your presence would be with them today. God on their ride home today. Just move in that vehicle. Move in that home when this family walks back in home today after they leave this service. 
And God, let your spirit abide in that home. Transform it from the inside out, God. Let us seek your face. But God, most of all, in this place today, let us turn from our wicked ways. God, that every individual in this room, Lord, would commit and announce that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And God, they want to walk in a newness of life. They no longer want to be carried captive by the enemy. Lord, it says in, in Ephesians that you led captivity captive and that you give grace to men. Have that become a reality to everyone in this room. Lord, all those that are captive, that the enemy has had his hand on their life, that he's caused them pain, caused them harm, that he's brought disruptions in their families. God, I pray today, Lord, that they would release that, that they would turn from their wicked ways, including myself, God. Help me to cause no one harm. Help me to be a picture of your grace and your mercy. Help every one of us in this room to be more like you as we walk out of this place today. Thank you for teaching us your truths. Let salvation be a reality. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen.